Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cricket Ultras podcast. This is Arun Sudaman, and joining me, as always, the only Australian who was happy to see Mitchell Marsh get out for 96. It's Darren Burns. <laughs> oh, you're harsh, Arun. Hello, everybody. Um, I wasn't happy. Look, what a great knock that was. And uh, Mitchell Marsh has really come of age in the last uh, couple of months, and it was, it was impressive, I must say. I didn't give him much hope. When he went out there to bat in Australia, or about 180 for six or so, I thought would be rolled over for about 250, but um, he really stood up. Um, full credit to the young man. Yeah, you're right. He has come of age. And I, I mean, I think your reservations about him were actually quite well-founded. He hadn't really done a lot in, in the last couple of years to suggest um, he was the answer to Australia's issues at, what is it, number six, where he bats now. Um, but he looked the complete package. He did look the complete package. And he also took a vital wicket in the uh, second dig as well. The wicket of um, Ada Markram, who played an absolute blinder. Um, but Mitchell Marsh, he was impressive, to say the least. He left the ball well. I thought he played the ball with the back foot beautifully and the front foot as well. So he looked the full package. He played the spinner quite well, the left arm spinner. Um, I don't know what happened to him. What's his secret? I mean, he must have gone away and somebody must have coached him. I don't know if it was... If it was Alfie Langer or somebody else over in Western Australia, but someone's done some work with him, I think. Mm. Well, he's 26 now, so and he's been around for a while. And maybe, no, never. exactly, this is the age when players often make that step up, right? And, uh, and so, you know, you know we, we've talked a lot recently about these guys going from red ball to white ball only. Mitchell Marsh is the opposite. He's focused his game in the last year only on red ball. Um, so full credit to the young man. He's obviously focused on it. In his, it's working. So anyone who's wondering what we're talking about, um, spoiler alert, we are discussing <laughs> the, uh, the first test, South Africa versus Australia. A very comfortable victory in the end for Australia. I feel a little bit vindicated. It's not often <laughs> where um, I make a prediction that it is, actually came true. That is quite... But not just it came true, but the manner in which it came yeah. through. South Africa's batting just just couldn't stand up um, in this game, apart from in the second innings where I think Aidan Markram showed that he well, is here to stay. He um, sure did. And some good news from Quinton de Kock uh, back, yeah. in, back into form. But I guess the real story in this test match, I mean, it, it seems to me the bowling of Mitchell Stark uh, was Probably the difference between the two sides and, of course, um, the fact that I just think Australia has the edge in terms of, of batting depth. Yeah. I mean, I think with Mitchell Marsh scoring those runs at number six, it certainly proved that way. Um, you know, I think we also saw Bancroft score a 50 in the second dig. He looked quite good. Those were question marks before the, before the series. So if you look at the first dig and the second dig, everyone stood up at some stage for the Australians and scored some runs. Whereas you look at the first innings for South Africa, it was, was pretty, pretty poor, except for A.B. de Villiers, who stood tall with his 71 not out, but everyone else looked a bit ordinary. Um, and Lyon was great. I mean, Mitchell Stark on that abrasive surface with the reverse swing. If it, I don't know if anyone's, if you haven't watched that reverse swing on the, uh, in the first innings or the second innings, go and have a look at it. I mean, he was hooping the ball around corners from around the wicket. I mean, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were being very critical of the South, South African batsman but mm. if I'm very fair <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't realize that this podcast had had rivals 
for your affections, it's, Darren? Well, I, I wouldn't call them a rival. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's competitive research, Arun. Right. Um, it was shit too, that podcast, by the way. Um, so they were talking, they were very critical of the, uh, of the South African batsman, and I thought that was quite pathetic because really it was, a, it was a really great show from Mitchell Stark, and I don't think he'll get an abrasive wicket next, next up. Um, but the way he dapped into that widow was, it was quite amazing. And when you can blow away the tail of a team like that, and it happened in the ashes a few times, it's, it's really, really a, a big deal, right? Because the Australian tail in the first innings, almost, you know, the last five batsmen doubled the score. Uh, whereas I think the South Africans made a pittance, perhaps 12, 15 runs for the last five. Um, um, it was fantastic to watch. Yeah, and I think um, the the pitch we, we have to discuss. I mean, we, we had talked beforehand uh, about the, the the fact that South Africa wanted slower pitches because they felt that you know Australia would struggle, and and we questioned this strategy. And I think you can probably see why. I mean, it was taking turn on the first day. Uh, which is all well, which is yeah, which is all well and good, but you could see Nathan Lyon licking his lips, uh, and he came into play in the first innings. Um, I thought Maharaj actually bowled pretty well, but yeah, he did. Um, it's it's too much for South Africa, I think, to expect Maharaj and Elgar uh, to, to 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 do the bulk of their bowling. Really, although I think they should bowl them when Smith comes in, right? Just Maharaj and Elgar, um, they probably wrap him up for a few less runs. He seems to be a bit of a bunny to those guys. Well, I mean, why not? Because I think Smith has got such a great record against pace bowlers. Uh, I mean, he's got a great record against spinners as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Um, But I I do feel like the the slowness of the pitch, the the abrasive nature, it was, as you said, it was a dry pitch. It really encouraged reverse swing. Um, Those things actually ended up helping Australia more than it hurt them. Yes, I think so too. The next test is at Port Elizabeth. And that's an interesting one because they, they, don't, they don't play at Port Elizabeth all that often. Um, that's right. At the very least, um, you'd be hoping for a reasonably fresh pitch uh, and one that mm. helps. I mean, honestly, that has a bit more bounce and carry and I think helps the South African pace bowlers. Morty Morkel, you know, he bowled extremely well in the Australian second innings. Second um, innings he did, yeah. That's, he for, did. Tr- that's for sure. They need a bit more um, assistance. Anyway, forget about the cricket. The big story in this match, <laughs> as you know, yes, it wasn't the cricket. It was, uh, well, you know, it, I suppose related to the cricket, but it was the uh, somewhat, somewhat ugly scenes um, that accompanied uh, the match. We had uh, David Warner and Quinton de Kock having to be separated uh, on the steps, uh, and then we had uh, Nathan Lyon actually being fined 15% of his, of his match fee uh, because of his actions after running out A.B. de Villiers. I mean, I think we've talked about this before, and I'm certainly not a fan of this kind of stuff. I feel like, I feel like it detracts, especially given how well Australia played. Everything after the match has been around, you know, the sledging, the... the kind of the, the non-cricketing stuff. Um, what's your take and what's the view in Australia? I think it was quite interesting in the lead up to this, to this test series. There wasn't much haggling. There wasn't much sledging on, on either side in, in the public, as you see in the Ashes series or you often see in South Africa, Australia series. Um, 
and even um, you know, A.B. de Villiers said it was people were much nicer than they were four years ago, uh, even two years ago. He made that comment actually earlier in, in the week that both sides were played in a good spirit. There was some, you know, there was some sledging on both sides, but there was nothing out of hand. And then I think we saw on day four that it did get out of hand a bit. Um, obviously, there was a lot of chirp. And I, I think the way David Warner reacted to the run out of ABD was kind of really stupid. Um, it was really over the top celebration. It was. Um, it was. And then I think it went on from there. And there was a lot of talk. And, and you know, full credit to Aidan Markram. He must have got copped an absolute earful from the, from the Australians after the run out of, of AB de Villiers. Uh, and he went on to score, you know, that, that magnificent century. Um, the view is that I think it's an ugly win, to be honest. It's an ugly win. I mean, that, that kind of behavior. I don't know what was said to David Warner. Um, and, and if anybody understands what the line is, I feel that from my experience playing with different, different nationalities, different people have different lines. So the Australian line is that you don't talk about people's, you know, their wives or their mums or that kind of stuff. You talk about the person, right, itself. You don't get personal about their personal life or something that's happening with their, with their, with their wife. Now, I don't know if that's what happened. That's what they say happened. Um, and that probably is a line right there. But I think, you know, the reality is the umpires are on the field. They stand 22 yards away from the batsman and the bowler. They hear everything that is said on the field if they think it's getting out of hand they need to step in mm. yeah I think I mean you mentioned this whole discussion about where the line is like you said different people have different lines so very easy to cross them I think the South Africans have also claimed there was there was personal stuff um, going on you know in different cultures you could easily see people taking offense I I kind of question why the le- this level of abuse is necessary. I know, for whatever reason, the umpires don't seem to want to get that involved in it all. Um, yeah. The and then you know then it, it's it's left to the players who, you know, appear incapable of policing themselves. I thought David Warner, uh, after a, a kind of a, a brief period of turning a new leaf. Um, looked like he had regressed back to the the old the old David Warner I guess he's dropped dropped the reverend prefix. yeah and go back to the ball yeah and that was you know I always feel it's quite hard for a leopard to change its spots so. I, I guess there goes his political career <laughs> maybe this will help his political oh you never know <laughs> giving him brownie points um I think you know what I would add to that Arun though is that you know sometimes elite sports people in the heat of the moment you know, they get fired up. People might say something that crosses a line. Maybe they regretted that they said it. Um, like I think, you know, some of the commentators said that, you know, um, on the beginning of day five that they saw A.B. de Villiers and Nathan Lyon shaking hands. I think the Nathan Lyon thing wasn't that big a deal. I think he sort of ran across and sort of dropped it and threw it and ran over to celebrate. I, I don't think it was that much malice in it. And apparently um, A.B. de Villiers is cool. They sort of shook hands and made up. But I'm not sure about to cock and Warner, so let's see. Yeah, I was actually a little bit more disappointed with Nathan Lyon because he's never struck me as as that kind of player. But he has been pretty vocal, even in the Ashes. I think he was, um, you know, trying on this kind of new persona. Uh, he's a bad boy now, Nathan Lyon. He's I think <laughs> bad boy in his thirties. Yeah. Um, Happens to so all of us, I think. I, what I think is interesting is that, um, um, you know. 
with the whole sledging stuff, I think what's happening is um, Smith was talking the other day about they found that once they have their fire and the sort of aggression and the sledging, they perform better mm. and they think it's part of the Australian culture. A couple of years ago, they tried to be nice and they felt it didn't get them anywhere. <laughs> so, I mean, t- 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 talk to us about this because this is something that Australian cricketers at every level deal with, right? You know, grade cricket, club cricket, even when you were playing, presumably as a 10-year-old, you were copying it from 15-year-olds. It's, it's part of the game. You, you have to it really dish is. it out, right? I mean, yeah. and I think that's something that players from other countries perhaps find quite hard to understand and find quite alien. Yeah. I mean, I, I never forget batting in, in Shanghai with a, there was a guy bowling who used to play club cricket in Australia, first 11 uh, in the Sydney club comp. Um, working as a teacher here and he came in and he fired in this bouncer at one of my guys batting with me, an Indian guy in my team. And he went down the pitch and he had a chat with him and the guy said, what's he talking about? Why is he yelling at me? What did I do? I just missed the ball. Yeah. Um, but he gave him an absolute earful. And I guess that's, people grow up and sort of, it's more when you get to sort of the club level and above, sort of the first level, second level, people get quite fiery about it. Um, but yeah, it's part of the game really. Yeah, I mean, I just think it doesn't... I understand that the Australian players think they need this to win. And, you know, you can't really argue with their record because they do win a lot. Um, But I think it detracts from the way they win. You know, we should be sitting here talking about Mitchell Stark's brilliant bowling, um, about Mitchell Marsh's batting and, and so on. And instead we're talking about you know, just these kind of moments of idiocy on the field. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean, you wonder. I'm not sure we will see much of a change, but uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about stump mics later on, I guess. Um, we will. So, next test is in Port Elizabeth, and it is on the ninth. Oh, so it's quite soon. There's not much. It's, yeah, it's this Friday. It's a. It's a really uh, quick turnaround. Are you expecting any changes to the Australian team? Uh, look, I don't think after that, but I, I need to look at the wicket, um, but I can't see them making too many changes if everyone's fit. I think they'll give, you know, Kawaja was pretty poor in that, that um, first test. He looks a bit out of sorts to me. Um, so let's see how he does. I think he might be the only one that's in danger for the rest of the series because I think, um, I think the, the other guys are pretty safe at the moment. Yeah, from the South Africa perspective, I mean, I think that the, the, the only decision that they may rethink is that they brought in um, De Bruyne, yeah. uh, who actually batted all right in the second innings. He got 36. He was quite impressive. He was. Yeah. But playing him means they only go in with four bowlers. Um, so they, they dropped Ngidi, right? Ngidi, um, that's correct. So I guess the question will come down to whether they retain De Bruyne or whether they go in with five bowlers. And I think at this stage, now that they're one match down, they may feel like they need to they yeah. need to play a fifth bowler. Uh, so it would be tough on De Bruyne, but then I can't really see them dropping anyone else. I mean, Amla had a, a torrid yeah. test match, didn't he? Zero and eight. He looks out of sorts, but he, he just doesn't look... He looks to be slow on everything and it just not really at his best. Mm, it's, it's, a, it's a little a little worrying. You wonder if it's a short-term or a long-term yeah. thing with Hashim Amla. Uh, but, um, you know, he deserves definitely the series, I think. Um, so I can't see them dropping Amla. It's a big call to do that. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, um, as part of our whip round review of world cricket, next up, do you have anything to say on England versus New Zealand? The series that just um, seems to seems to keep on keep going. going on. I mean, it's just it never does. ending. I think the the England tour to uh, Australia and uh, Australia and New Zealand seems to go on forever. I, it's, it's, I think it's been going for six months now. It's never end. The timeless tour. Yeah. Um, and they've still got. I think they've still got two more one day games to play and then two tests. Yeah. It's, so it won't end until yeah, the end of March. There's still at least like forty more days to go. I think. <laughs> but you know, it's almost been the most exciting cricket of the summer. Um, yeah. Two of the three matches have gone down to the last over. And they've been super exciting, a bit unexpected. I mean, the other day you saw Kane Williamson score a great 100 and just fall short in the last over, um, delivered by Wokes. So some, some good cricket going on down there. And again, 2-1 after three matches, two to play. It's anyone's uh, tournament. Yeah, so the only other series, well, kind of major international series ongoing is is going to be the India-Sri Lanka uh, one day trophy. Um, there's really not much to say about this because India are resting a lot of players: Virat Kohli, yeah, Dhoni, Bumrah, Bhuvneshwar. They're resting for the IPL. <laughs> Hardik Pandya. <laughs> well, you've got to get your priorities in order. You do. It's, yeah. Uh, Kuldeep Yadav. I actually think it's it's good that they're all being rested because they do play. I mean, Virat Kohli plays a lot of cricket. Uh, he 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 does more or less play yeah, ev- everything. Um, Sri Lanka also missing some key players. Angelo Matthews is is missing. Um, Gunaratne is missing as well. So a lot of youngsters are coming in. I mean, India bringing in uh, Washington Sundar, the, the the youngster, uh, Rishabh Pant, Deepak Huda. So it'll be interesting to see some of these youngsters come up, but. Um, I'm not sure that you can really read a, a lot into this series. Um, it's, it's only 2020 as well. Uh, yeah. And on that note, a, a very interesting story in The Guardian by Ali Martin. Uh, ICC is considering a radical plan to curb the power of 2020 and save Test cricket. Now, this is something we've discussed um, kind of endlessly on this podcast. It's, it's funny, after our last podcast, I saw a story on Crick Info. I didn't actually read it, but I think the headline said something like, how many ways can test cricket die? And yeah, that was, <laughs> it was some weird article. I tried to read it, but I couldn't. It was some, 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 some guy was trying to do some comedy or something or some comedic response, but it was just pathetic. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, I stopped reading after about the, should, the third line. probably come on the podcast. <laughs> we probably should have him as a guest. Yeah, it's clearly a ready <laughs> audience for, for really bad comedy. On, on our podcast. Um, but it's some interesting stuff here because obviously there's, there's, there are real concerns about this kind of the sport being cannibalized. The, yeah. the big concern is at the moment, these domestic T20 tournaments are reasonably yeah. well regulated. But mm. there's nothing to stop, you know, a kind of Alan Stanford figure, God forbid, um, should he ever be released from his Texas prison or wherever he is, um, coming along and setting up a tournament that actually just pulls players away from really big series and... and doesn't give any money back to the uh, to the associations that have developed them. Now that hasn't happened yet, but I think they're worried about that. So they've come up with some some plans which they're going to discuss at the next ICC meeting in Kolkata. Interestingly, India's now like really behind Test cricket because of Virat Kohli, uh, because he's got this this sort of this dream of winning Test matches. 
Yeah, I mean, but they also don't have, you know, Indian players aren't allowed to play overseas in any T20 formats either. They're not, that's correct. So they've kind of got everything, well, they've they've got everything in their court, right? They do, Um, they do. And they play the, sorry, they pay the 20% as it is. Um, They pay 20% of a player's contract to their home board. This is a real problem for the West Indies because they estimate they spend um, a million US dollars developing a player such to, to, to yeah. turn them into an international cricketer. And then what's happened is so many of those players then go off and start playing these private 2020 leagues, these franchises, and, you know, the board gets nothing back, or at least they get something back from the IPL. They get 20% yeah. back. But should we, should we unpack some of the recommendations they made? Yeah, let's, let's five of them, I think. yeah do, you want to, do you want to go through them? Yeah, so I think the first recommendation was restricting players under 32 to three domestic T20 leagues a year. And I, I guess that means board contracted players. I mean, I guess you couldn't stop any, everybody from playing. Yeah. I mean, um, what's your view on this one, Darren? Is this, you know, I know you're kind of a sort of arch free market my, capitalist. My, my view on the whole five of recommendations, it's very nanny state. It's very <laughs> nannying. It's very, it's so intrusive into everybody's cricketing life. And I, I mean, I'm of the belief that if people want to play in domestic T20 leagues, let them do it. I think their value goes down. There was a great, I think I will say this honestly, that Kevin Peterson did a, had a great tweet on Sunday about, saying to everybody, make no doubt about it, once you leave test match red ball cricket, your value goes down considerably. And your value for sponsorships, your value for um, the team and your, and your overall net worth goes down as well. Because I think test players still command the highest um, engagement with fans. They really do. I mean, I think Stephen Smith would not be getting what he's in the IPL now, a couple of million a year, if he wasn't Australia's test captain, right? So I think there's an incentive for players to, to hone their craft and be good red ball players as well. So I think that's, you know, if somebody wants to go and play three domestic leagues a year and give up on red ball cricket, in a way, so be it, right? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I can see your point. Um, I, 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 I'm glad I, you can. Well, I mean, I'm not sure I'd go <laughs> as far as to describe it as, uh, as nanny state. I understand that, uh, you know, some people may not like um, things to be overly regulated, um, <laughs> you know. It's, okay. It's, it's uh, yeah. But this the second one here is an interesting one, I think, and I think this is actually perhaps the most important of the measures. They want to come up with three T Twenty windows um, that leave six months of the clear of the year clear for international cricket. So you'd have you'd have Europe and Americas from mid-July to mid-September. So that would be Canada, Global T20, Caribbean, Premier League, the ECB T20 in England. Um, Then you'd have Asia in April and May. That would be UAE, IPL, of course, PSL, PSL, BPL, APL, Mm. SLPL. And then... um, I guess the rest of the world. I'm not sure what how you'd describe the rest. The, the and other, then I guess the there's region. a big bash, which is going to big bash is kind of big bash Austral, super, Australasia or whatever Australia, New Zealand. I guess Super Smash, Hong Kong Premier League, the South Africa T20. So that would be Pacific Africa, um, December December to January. Uh, so that's six months, and then the remaining six months, you can do international cricket. Um, so it's it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, it is. But it does make sense, I feel. I think they've got to try something like this. 
I don't mind it as an idea. I think they're going to trial it for the first year and just see how it goes. Next up, something we've discussed, all leagues paying 20% of a player's contract value to their home board. Um, I think that's a no-brainer uh, because, I mean, it just makes everyone happy and the money's there. Does that happen in other sports? <laughs> it just seems weird to me. Why would you pay 20% of your commission to Big Brother? Like 20% <laughs> of your total value to the home board. I, it seems weird to me. I think we need to look into it does. that the, it, it, Well, the IPL does it. I mean, Do they? Yeah, the IPL. It's, it's, it's part of the IPL. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that, that, that's why um, I think there's a good chance that is adopted. The IPL already pays 20% for players mm. it imports. So um, it's a good little earner for the Australian Cricket Board. Absolutely. But it's fair as well because they've, they've invested money to develop these players. So I think it's fair that these tournaments... Um, reimburse the boards and capping the number of overseas players in each domestic t20 league and then of course the final one is standardized conditions that guarantee player welfare and payment um not entirely sure what that means but the, the catch-all yeah exactly <laughs> seems like a good idea yeah seems, it seems like a good idea but we'll pass that one seems like a good idea so that so there you have it and and that will be discussed um at the next icc meeting okay so in focus, yes. Our first in focus section, yes. The World Cup qualifier. The what you say? <laughs> well, it's a good question, Darren. I'm glad you've asked me about it <laughs> because I will admit, until about a week ago, I did not know what the World Cup qualifier was. Um, now I do, and. I'm curious, do you know what the World Cup qualifier is? I do know what the World Cup qualifier is. Um, there are now 10 teams playing in a tournament in Zimbabwe to mm. work out who will be the final two teams to go through to the World Cup next year. Yep. Um, You've hit the nail exciting. on the head. Um, it is exciting. It's On the plus side, it's a very meaningful tournament. It is. Because um, for a lot of these teams... Uh, you know, a World Cup place is a real prize. However, for four of them <laughs> who were yeah. already in the World Cup last time, right. uh, it's, it's a big risk because obviously, you know, they have, they have cut the size of the World Cup from 14 teams last time down to 10. Um, so that's the positive. On the negative side, it is a very convoluted competition in only the way that I think... Uh, cricket cricket, co cricket competitions <laughs> can be. They yes. have. I, I'm just refresh my memory. Did we have the Super Six in the last World Cup, or had had we dispensed? I think they dispensed with it in the last World Cup because it was. It's just a weird concept. Well, it's back. It is. <laughs> it really is back. It's. Um, I've never really understood the Super Six and what it what it brings. Um, it doesn't bring anything. No. So so what we have is we have two two groups of five. Um, right. And the top three teams in each go through the, to the Super Correct. Six. Then, of course, the Super Six has that weird points thing where you carry over your points, but only the points yes. that you've accumulated against other Super Six teams. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, don't count. <laughs> yeah. The top two, then you play the teams you haven't already played. I mean, so it gets more and more convoluted. The top two Super Six teams... Um, basically are going to qualify for the World Cup. 
They also do play a final um, to determine the winner, even though they, they both qualify for the World Cup. I would have thought playing a final where nothing is at stake would be of of real interest to the IC, <laughs> ICC anti-corruption unit. But yes. um, that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's um, just your opinion, dude. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But the other interesting thing is how is how the teams have qualified. So you've got these... Um, these two teams of two, sorry, two groups of five. Um, now four, four teams got in just by virtue of being ranked nine to 12. So that would be, um, the full ODI members. So, so that is, um, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Ireland, and the West Indies, correct? So that, that's four. The remaining six appear to have qualified, um, via a, competition called the world cricket league darren i know you're you're very familiar with the world cricket league i'm very familiar with the world with the world cricket league okay good um, because four teams came from the world cricket league now here's the question i have for you do you know where the remaining two teams came from huh that is a very good question Arun, <laughs> and you've really stumped me um uh, a lottery. I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. Um, they came from the World Cricket League Division Two. Ah. Now, what is the World Cricket League Division Two? You might ask. At which point, I will have to say that I gave up, and you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. I feel because I, yeah. I wasn't even aware there was a World Cricket League Division One. Um, oh, there's Division Six. I think. I think China play in Division Six. Oh, interesting. Which includes Vietnam and Bermuda, I think. Oh, okay. So, so there you go. So you, so you have contributed to this discussion. Yes, I've, I've also played the, the Japanese national men's team before too, and I think they're in Division 4. Wow. So you, you, at this rate, you could well feature in the World Cup qualifier. I, I could actually. Hmm. You know, the argument was that um, in Japan, they let expatriates play for them if they've been there for five years, I think. That's the same the everywhere. Chinese, I mean, you The Chinese at, don't, though. Oh, don't they? They refuse. No. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sad to hear that, Darren, on your behalf. Yes, my I international was... career was scuttled. <laughs> I thought I, I kind I'm of figured, I figured that was the only reason you moved to Shanghai. Was, exactly. Was to qualify. To, to qualify for the, for the Chinese cricket team. I tell my parents I play international cricket. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the two that have made it from Division 2 are, in fact, um, if I'm not mistaken, and, and I could well be mistaken, Certainly Nepal is one of them. I have a feeling the UAE may be the other one. Not Hong Kong? No, dude. Hong Kong are, uh, are, Hong Kong are with the big boys in, 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 the, in the main <laughs> world cricket. Hong Kong qualified. Sorry, not to get very defensive about my hometown, but Hong Kong qualified for the last World T20. I'll have you know. Oh, of course um, they did. Yeah, Hong Kong is... You're uh, right. Hong Kong has, has, has surged up the rankings You're since right, 2008. Of course they have. Yes, it's, and that's fantastic. It is. And indeed, Hong Kong's um, cricket, men's cricket team is Hong Kong's highest ranked sports team. Even though the playing pool here is like literally 200 players. Um, but anyway, coming back to the World Cup qualifier, I mean, the favorites are kind of obvious, right? They're the, the full ODI members. Yes. Uh, but already we've had an upset. We have um, Scotland beating Afghanistan. Indeed. And Afghanistan also featured Rashid Khan, um, the wrist spinner, and apparently they did pretty well against him. He um, got out for a duck and conceded 68 in nine overs. 
Mm, surprising. Maybe he didn't bring his A game. Or maybe he's sort of lulling in his IPL contract and sort of, you know, not really focused on it. I mean, this is what happens, isn't it? Success. Um, Resting on his laurels. Yeah. I mean, he, well, he's certainly one of the players to watch. I think um, there are some reasonably big names here. You know, obviously there's the the Nepali 17-year-old leg spinner who's got an IPL yeah. contract, contract, Sandeep Lamichane. There's, there's a 15-year-old batsman from Nepal as well. Yep, correct. Um, the UAE has its kind of first homegrown um, player, a spinner who's six foot five, a very good fielder as well. Yeah. Um, the West Indies handy. obviously have a whole clutch. Chris Gale is, is playing somehow. I'm not entirely sure how that happened. There must be a window in, in the... In his schedule. In his, in his schedule. <laughs> uh, Ireland, of course, have, have several players who've played in the World Cup um, previously. Uh, but not Owen Morgan, who gave up playing for Ireland. Well, he can always go back, can he? I guess he can go back. Well, this is, this is an interesting question, which, which we can get to later on when we do our Q&A round. Um, we can. But uh, Owen Morgan, let's just say, turned his back on Ireland, was seduced by the bright lights of England. I thought you were going to say seduced by the dark side. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends how you look at it, really. Uh, <laughs> it, the funny thing is, Ireland have a player, Boyd Rankin, who, who did the opposite. He, he played, That's, I think yeah. he played for England first and, and then ended up playing for Ireland. And I have a feeling Ed Joyce did the same thing, too. Um, yeah, because it's it, you know it, once you're over the hill a little bit for England, you could probably make it into the Irish team, right? I mean, hey, you could still not, be a pretty handy player. Let's not overlook Ireland's <laughs> record against England in the World Cups. Yes, they, they've won at least one match against them. If I'm, I think maybe two. Yeah, if maybe I'm not two. Mistaken. Yeah, at least yeah, one. Could be. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's interesting that the matches are underway. Hong Kong are actually playing right now. They have reached 35 for naught off nine overs against Scotland. Um, I am not sure if Hong Kong will make it through as you know as one of the top two. It's going to be very hard. You'd have to say, yeah, the smart money is on um, the West Indies, and one of, I'd probably say Afghanistan or Ireland, maybe Netherlands though. Netherlands would would have a bet, a, a decent yeah. shout. They they actually came top of the World Cricket League, but they lost their game the other day. Um, they did. So they didn't yep. start very well. Correct. Um, yep, they lost. Yeah, you, you probably think West Indies will go through, right? Probably with I mean, Ireland. When you've got Maybe Chris Gale and Jason Holder and Kimar Roach yeah. and Marlon Samuels in your team, um, it's no excuses there. <laughs> no, there really shouldn't be. Um, so that's the World Cup qualifier. Unfortunately, only a few games are being streamed, but I do think it's, it, it's worth watching. I'm going to try at least to, to see some action from. Uh, from Hong Kong, um, and that's underway. Yeah, and until the end of March, basically, it's the whole month. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's in focus, and now we will conclude cricket ultras with our new Q and A round, uh, in which we will ask each other two questions, and I think endeavour to provide some intelligent answers. So. Shall I go first? You shall. Go ahead. Okay. Ricky Ponting yes. has forecast a big future for a very tall 
Australian fast bowler by the name of Billy Stanlake. Yep. Darren, do you agree? Is he the real deal? Is that what you're asking me? I am asking you if, yes, exactly. Is Billy Stanlake the real deal? Well, he does come from my native Queensland, so that's already a big positive uh, in his ledger. You know, he looked good in the T20 tournament recently. Um, he's a big, tall bloke. He's seven feet tall, but he's broken down a few times already. I think he's about 23. He's broken down with back injuries already. He's had uh, foot and ankle in- injuries as well. It's, it's a matter of these guys, if he bulks up and he can stay on the park, he'll probably do really well. Um, he reminds me a lot of Bruce Reed. I don't know if you remember Bruce Reed. I do, yeah. A very yeah. tall, fast bowler who is similar in build. Western um, Australian, and, though, wasn't he, Bruce yes, Reed? Yes, in Western Australian, yeah. an absolute legend of the game. Um, but he never seemed to, to bulk up. He was always getting injured. And then I think he just gave up and he became a coach. So Billy Stanley, he looks good to me. Gets it up to 150 Ks an hour, very quick. Um, and I think he'll do really well if he stays in the park. Um, there's a lot of rumors going around that he's really a, a white ball bowler. But to be honest, I think he hasn't really had an extended run in red ball. Um, so I think that's, that'd be interesting to see. Um, you know, his first class bowling average is about 21, but he's only played two games, but he's picked up seven wickets or so. Okay. So he's been effective. Um, he has a good T20 record as well. So let's see. He, he's very exciting. I mean, he hits that pitch hard, man. Okay. All right. Your turn. So we were just talking about Hong Kong and I erroneously said that they were not um, <laughs> in Division 1. Mm. Um, but they are in Division 1, of course. So, And they also made the last T20 World Cup. There's a young chap called Mark Chapman mm. who has been playing for New Zealand in the current in- England series but has also played for Hong Kong. And I think you almost know the guy. Um, what do you think about him? Is he a good player? I, I don't actually know Mark Chapman. Um, I can't, it kind of feels like I do because, you know, <laughs> Hong Kong's a small place and I'm it sure is. I've seen him play cricket uh, on one of the, the, the cricket grounds here on a weekend. Um, he is still only 23, Mark Chapman. Uh, and I think he could well be the best cricketer to emerge from Hong Kong. He was born here, moved to New Zealand at 13 and has been in the, in, in, the, in the New Zealand system ever since. But he has been playing international cricket for Hong Kong um, uh, since, since I think he was 16, he made his debut. Scored a century on his one-day debut against impressive. the UAE, which very impressive. I think he was the youngest player to score a century on debut. Um, <laughs> he's a very, very good talent, very promising He's been on fire in the New Zealand um, T20 tournament this season. Yeah. He's, if I'm not mistaken, he's made his, already made his debut for the New Zealand T20 team. He has, that's correct. Um, and he's now been drafted into the New Zealand 50-over squad. Yes. Um, the crazy thing is that he can still represent Hong Kong despite having played for New Zealand. All you need to have are the passports. Um, yeah, he's got both. So, which, so he could literally play for Hong Kong one day and New Zealand the next. He could, right? So which would be quite interesting. If they played each other, could he play one innings for each team? <laughs> he might change teams the following week, depending on how they do, right? Um, yeah, he's been doing well. He seems like a really keen young guy, too. He, was, he seems to be, you know, chats with all the team members and really gets into stuff and very enthusiastic. Um, 
Yeah, so good, good on him. He's got... The other thing I like about Mark Chapman is he's got the full range of strokes. Um, he's a very modern cricketer. And, you know... He and, was getting too clever the other night, I think, trying to do these little reverse paddles yeah, and stuff. That didn't yeah, do very well. Maybe. But I mean, he doesn't seem phased as well by the pressure. Um, so... Something, something else interesting here, I just realized the other night, I think Billy Stanlake dismissed Mark Chapman. Oh, wow. By hitting him in the helmet. The helmet went back onto the stumps. Oh, it was wow. a very unusual dismissal. Yeah, that's, um, that's... So there we go. We have a linkage there. Yeah, that's And they're both spooky. 23 years old. Yeah, that is spooky. It is spooky. Okay, my question for you. Who is Makatu Seru? <laughs> this is so this is so left field. Yeah. He is a middle order batsman from Fiji. Aha. Are there I'm many... really curious as to why you brought this up. I know he's playing club cricket in Melbourne, but I'm not sure why you brought this up. Well, first Please of all, explain. how you tell me, how common is it for Fijian cricketers to get drafted into Australian club cricket? It's probably the first time. Ah, so there you go. That's why I wanted to look <laughs> at it. That's your question. Okay. Well, I just thought, you know, is this um is this something worth watching? Are we going to see more Fijian cricketers making the move into Australian cricket? Well, we see lots of Fiji rugby players into Australia, right? Quite right, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's nice if that is the case. Yeah. Cricket, cricket needs all the help it can get. Um, you need to go where the action is, right? So, Arun, my question to you, there's been a lot of speculation this week and a lot of discussion about this in the media. Should stump mics be turned up the whole time to give the audience a better insight into the game or should they be turned off the whole time i think they should always be on and we agree hey we agree on something we finally agree it. on something and i think they should be heavily subsidized by um <laughs> <laughs> i think there should be a 40 percent levy on all, all cricket income paid towards stump yeah. mics uh no i think um I think they should always be on. I think it's great for the audience. I think the players should modify their behavior accordingly. Agree. I don't think there should be this inane, these inane attempts to mention ambush marketing sponsor names right. in a bid to get stump mics turned off. We saw some of the Australian players doing that. We've seen other teams do that in the past. Yeah. Um, no, I think it adds a lot to the game. I, I mean, a lot of it is kind of really mindless banter. I mean, yes. you know, the, the bold Warney is, uh, you know... It's, uh, nice Gary! Yeah, kind of, you kind of have nightmares about it, don't you? But, exactly. Um, but, I, you know, I think it adds a lot. And I, 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 I don't think we should turn them off just because there are players out there that can't, uh, yeah. can't, that can't control their behaviour. Basically. I think one of the things I enjoy about rugby and rugby league is you can hear what the um, umpire referee is saying to the players and you hear what they say back to them. Um, whereas in cricket, you don't see that at all, right? Um, I think a transparency and openness is, is interesting. It adds more color to the game as well. Yeah. The, the one thing I'll say is you do see it with the third umpire, with the decisions. And I think that has yes, been brilliant. Good. That has been great. Um, and actually, it's one of the things that football is struggling with in terms of VAR. Yes. I don't know if you've been following that. It's been very interesting because VAR has been kind of a disaster for football. It's been handled so badly and it actually makes you think cricket has done a really good job with, um, with all the technology. Uh, it's definitely improved outcomes and that's, that's just, it's been proven too that it actually does improve outcomes. Yeah. And I agree. The, the level of information you now get is, is great. And I think stump mics are part of that too. 
Um, yep. I think you're right. I would like to hear more from the on-field umpires. Okay, well, that, 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 I think that brings us to the end of another episode of Cricket Ultras. Um, Sadly, yes. We are going to be back next week when I think we're going to talk in depth. Our focus next week will be on women's cricket, the state of the game. Yes. Um, and then the week after that, we have something even, no, I wouldn't say even more special, but something similarly special in store. Um, we're going to talk to someone who's played cricket in North Korea. Is that correct? Yes, um, I joined a tour 10 years ago to North Korea. The first cricket match ever in North Korea. We'll talk about that. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, Thanks, as always, for your feedback. We'll be back next week.